Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, today, I'm here to talk to you um, with someone, um, and we, we have had such a great conversation even before we went live. Um, I, I wish I could say that the topic itself is one that I wish we didn't have to bring um, to our audience. And for those of you who are listening live today, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, are very well aware of the tragic news that we just heard about and is still unfolding about um, the uh, school shooting in Texas. And so our hearts and prayers go out to the families who are uh, grieving at this time and and to the whole community and the nation, in fact, that is uh, really having to grapple with this that keeps happening over and over again. And so um, the person that I have with us today is a very courageous uh, woman who is a um, a high school teacher. Um, She is someone who has been uh, teaching for over 20 years uh, U.S. history and AP U.S. history in New York City Public Schools. And I invited her today, and we, we just talked about how much there is for us to discuss. And so we're going to try to uh, keep this at a reasonable amount of time. But I'm pleased to welcome for this special broadcast, just because it is so timely, um, a very fine educator, Sari Beth Rosenberg. Welcome to the show, uh, Sari Beth. Thank you so much. And I just have to say before we get started, it's just such an honor to be on your show tonight talking to you. And we have so much to talk about. And I'm just thrilled. I mean, even though it's very heavy and horrific content at times, I I am thrilled to discuss this with you and have this conversation tonight. Again, thank you for being here. Um, So let's start. I, I you know, my mind is just just really reeling about what the news we just heard, and we're going to get to that. But I I want to um, have you explain a little bit about the work. Let's kind of get us up to the present time. Is that you've been teaching U.S. history and AP U.S. history for a while? Uh, tell me a little bit about um, how you kind of started and the evolution of you as a a history teacher, because I'm sure what you were doing 20 years ago and what you're doing now is Mm -hmm. different. And there were a series of things that probably impacted you to to move and do things differently and and ask questions differently. Uh, Tell us a little bit about um, that trajectory and, and development. Absolutely, yes. So I'm about to complete my 20th year at the same New York City Public High School. Shout out to the High School for Environmental Studies here in New York City. And when I started, yes, the, the educa- just the entire landscape of education, public education, high school social studies education looked very different. I mean, in some ways it's 
the, you know, the kids are similar and have similar interests and disinterest in being in history class every day. But I've seen the role of teachers change. I've seen, I mean, I, the way I like to joke about it is I, I left uh, working in the online music industry, which kind of felt like a cool, hip, rebellious profession, working with artists and and performers um, to be a teacher, high school history teacher, which I thought was probably one of the least rebellious moves, right? Going back to my academic core, I was, uh, I got my master's in teacher's college. I got my undergraduate degree at Columbia in history. Mm -hmm. So I was returning to my academic roots. Mm -hmm. And if I would have told myself 20 years ago, two decades ago, that I would be seen as a rabble rousing rebel because I'm because sure. I'm simply saying I'm saying to anyone who will listen, even the people who don't want to hear this, that we should be teaching the truth about yes. our history. Yes. That's considered rebellious, and that's mm-hmm. it would have. If you told me that twenty years, it would have blown my mind. Yes, sure, sure. And and so were there any any so going back to so the truth right i mean yeah, it is yeah. it's something that is simple but it has always i i just remember growing up i heard all the time um people would always say and people in my family would say things like the truth always stands don't worry about it the truth stands yeah. just always tell the truth and so as you're saying it's like now that's just something that we don't really know what it is anymore. There, um, when I was in graduate school, um, there was a, a term I learned um, that a, a popular, at the time, political scientist, very well-known political scientist named Deborah Stone, um, used to mm-hmm. refer to things as strategic representations. And so, mm-hmm. that, so it doesn't really matter what it is you're talking about is that there are ways in which people represent uh, facts. You know, I know that sounds crazy, but it's like facts are facts. Yeah. There are ways in which they can be represented that take on different meanings. And so, but Mm -hmm. whoever thought we'd be in the the place where we are today. But I I also wonder, so were there any um, key authors or or people that some like the was there an aha moment for you that happened where you went i this is what i should be doing this is how i you know this. well i i will say that and and this was just a coincidence perhaps or not um well no i think i think everything there's a course in life right and so when i was an undergrad at Columbia, my, I guess my, I don't even remember what they called them, but I would check in with her about my programming. I guess she was my advisor, so to speak, uh, Barbara Fields, Dr. Fields. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And as you know, she's well known for her scholarship as a historian, and she's especially well known for her book, uh, Racecraft, that she wrote with Dr. Kim Fields. And that book is something, and what she writes about in there is it has become really um, the center of how I frame my American history course, because, you know, I think I probably would have gotten fired or fined if I did this in Florida or Texas right now. But I start in the beginning of the school year talking about with my students, I ask them what came first, race or racism? And a lot of them say race. And we get into it. And we discuss how actually 
it's racism. And I won't get into the whole conversation here, but Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. I highly recommend people reading Racecraft if they're not familiar with that work and other related um, writings around that. But that, for me, when I, I, I had read it probably in graduate school, and I returned to it again when I was trying to figure out how to grapple with teaching the story of America because race is, unfortunately, is such a major part of the story of America, I realized that I really needed to frame our discussions in the beginning around that. Obviously, we also talk about the ideals that are put in the Constitution. It's not just a class about racism. But unfortunately, if we look at what's going on in America today, racism is unfortunately something that we still need to dismantle. So I made it my mission to face it front on, especially because Side note, I'm often the only white person in the classroom or small, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the very, I teach at a school of primarily BIPOC students here in New York City. And Mm -hmm. this is, I want, I want them to feel not alienated by Mm -hmm. the story of America. And I don't want them to have a whitewash version, but I want them to have an entry point into it. And we just name things right away so that they can feel like they can really get into the story of America and feel a part of it, but also understand the parts where they were told not to be a part of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we have a lot of, of issues where there are ways in which the representation of other groups in history books and other places, you know, there's a big, um, discord around this in in Florida, for example, where there mm-hmm. there were books that have been eliminated from um, being able to be purchased with state funds because they felt that they were um, telling the the story from a perspective that not that it wasn't the truth, but that it was in fact probably too much of the truth, too much detail. They didn't want, like, the, mm-hmm. the, that amount of detail wasn't necessary. And, uh, you know, our, our, I know that there's a society of, um, of American history teachers. In fact, earlier in the past year, I had the national president from the American Historical Association and a number of other people awesome. who, who seem to come from the same perspective is that the truth is what needs to be told. Like it was like, this is simple. And we were, we were discussing like say the 1619 project and the, um, you know, the 1776 commission and, and all of this. And it's just like all of this confusion that's out there. And and it is as if what we were talking about kind of before you came on was that it's like, we don't know what to make of what the truth is. Um, because yeah. there were yeah. there were things that gave rise to this. Yeah, and I and I think it comes down to something that we don't talk about enough. We talk a lot about what should we teach, what should we teach about the, what is the you know what is the truth. I mean, there are certain things that we accept as true. I still think mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. we do live in a postmodern era, but I think there are still some truths. Uh, but I do think something that is often left out of the conversation, glaringly, is what young people want to learn, what they think, and also a, a very, 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 and I can't say very enough, bad, bad misconception uh, about 
what the idea that young people can't handle complexity. Oh, that we somehow yeah. need to shield them from the truth because they can't, it's just too upsetting to them. And they don't, and also the fear that if we tell them about some of the not so great things that America has done, like race based chattel slavery, genocide of the indigenous people due to settler colonialism, right. that they yes. also can't, and they, that, that then they won't ever see America at the positive parts of America. And mm-hmm. that, I think, really, that really, really sells our young people short. Young people understand complexity. I teach high school kids, but I've talked, to, I've talked to them about, you know, their memories of learning in elementary school and middle school. And, and they tell me that they, that they remember, under, you know, learning about various aspects of American history and having a complex understanding of it at a young age and being able to handle that. Like, they, mm-hmm. can, see, they can love America, but they can also see the flaws simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And I really think it's unfair of these people who I think are being more political than really trying to help kids with these, these unrestricted divisive issues laws. They're not helping them. And they're also, yeah. they're also undermining their understanding of complexity. That, and that's right. what bothers and, me a lot. Right, right. And you said some, I mean, that, that point is very important uh, to underline because, you know, I think about um, a situation I was in once. I had a, a group of sixth graders uh, that I was doing a focus group with at an at a elementary through middle school. Um, and, and the sixth graders, um, I, I was asking them some questions. And then I said, so um, you seem to not think much about what the adult opinion is about this. And, you know, and, yeah. and so they all just kind of laughed. I said, so, well, what do you, do you think the adults know what's going on? You know, with some of the things yeah. that they described. They said adults don't have a clue about what's going on at this school, and, wow. and so. But it was just that they, they, they understood kind of both sides of it. Was that there's a a real the kind of there's a reality to our experience here, and then there's the way adults see it or want to, mm. and and these were sixth graders, and they were just kind of like yeah. kind of it was it was it was comical to them. Uh, how clueless adults were about what was really happening. And I, I, I think that part of it is what's really important is that we, we have to respect the fact that they probably know far more than we knew at that age because of just what they've been exposed to. Um, but we don't give them credit. And what I, no. what I said to you in the beginning, and I, and I do uh, also want to commend you, for not just teaching them the truth, but respecting them enough to teach them the truth. Is that, mm. I don't, like, is that a lot of it is that I don't think adults and many adults respect children enough to say that they have an opinion or that they, um, they have a perspective that matters, that no, you're not old enough. And I've often been with teachers and and in leaders, I say, do you think that just because one day they magically turn 18, then it's like, okay, now open your eyes. Now that means you can see and understand the rest of the world. No, it starts long yeah. before they become adults, long before they become adults. And so and, 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 why, why yeah, can't absolutely. they understand it? And, and to add on to that, 
the other day I pulled my students because we, we and we can talk about the, the my discussions I have with them about the uh, mass shooting in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm curious, when was the first time, how old were you when you experienced some sort of racism or discrimination based on mm-hmm. how you look? The mm-hmm. language you speak, the language your mm-hmm. mom speaks, your grandma speaks. And most of them said, you know, this is just a poll of a couple classes, so it's not mm-hmm. a well-researched, it's, a, mm-hmm. you know, it's, sure, a, it's sure. an informal poll, but I think it's sure. representative of, of, a certain, of, of young people, seven to eight years old. Mm-hmm. Roughly seven or eight years old, they mm-hmm. experience some form of racism here in New York City which is a much more diverse environment, but still has a lot of racism that they, they experience. And so that whole argument that, you know, that you hear in these that are passing these divisive issue laws, and I, I think the statistic is like there's like 36 states who are in the process of, and you can fact check me on this, but somewhere around 36 states are in the process of passing some sort of restrictive laws around education, whether it's book bans or curriculum um, bans. And, and one of the arguments they make is that it, it makes young people feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it. I, I, I want to know which young people, because I, I, I think that if a seven and eight year, or eight-year-old is aware of racism that they're experiencing, I think that a seven or eight-year-old white young kid should, mm-hmm. is, is capable of understanding that so we don't perpetuate it. Because I truly That's believe, right. and I'm not trying to, like, they're not a soapbox here, but I do, not because I'm an educator. I truly believe, even if I wasn't in this field that we're in, that mm-hmm. our number one hope right now to dismantle education, to dismantle education, to dismantle racism in this country, mm-hmm. is education. And it, it, and I don't know about you, but it really terrifies me that we're stripping away these conversations in some fashion. Yes. Because yes. then what do we do? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And I, I agree that we, we should tell it, we, sh- we should be tactful, we should be uh, diplomatic in terms of uh, sensible about what they, what they, sh- they can hear. Um, but as I said, you know, they, they've experienced much more than we did at that age. Um, things that you can see on television in the middle of the day um, whether or not you can say they're violent, uh, they certainly have seen a lot more graphic um, content than we had uh, by this age. And so, which leads us to, you know, the, 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 I guess at this point, part of the reason why you, you were invited was to talk about what you've done. What we know at this point is that an 18-year-old um, is uh, now accused of, walking into a grocery store that had been previously kind of surveilled and um, shot and killed people on a Saturday afternoon. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that subsequently a manifesto that has been attributed to him and um, some other writings and thoughts online that have also been attributed to him have been found and plans to do even more. Um, had yeah. been had been discovered, and so now you know as an educator, this this is all over the news. There are people talking about it. Undoubtedly, they're talking about it on um, at, at dinner tables or not, or just around. Um, they've heard it on the news, 
and on the radio. So what's the conversation? When you heard about this, um, what was it that went through your mind, and what was the conversation you decided to have with your high school students? Uh, well, with my AP US history classes, we had just finished the exam, and the kids voted on, I gave them options of films to watch, and they wanted to watch Spike Lee's 2018 film, Black Clansman. Of course, there were a lot of trigger warnings before watching it, because uh, if, any, no, if people aren't familiar with it, it's about um, a black police officer in Colorado who infiltrated the KKK vis-a-vis a, a white police officer. But watch the film. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's based on the true story of Ron Stallworth. And, you know, it, it's not for everyone. And it's definitely not a film. Like you were saying, it needs to be age appropriate. I would not, I would not screen this for eighth graders or fifth graders, but I teach 11th mm-hmm. graders and got their permission and everything. So we watched it. And a lot of the conversations that these Klansmen were having in the film were pretty much great replacements. You know, a lot of the language that you, if you, if you read about great replacement theory, the conspiracy theory that fueled this uh, racist shooter, they were, they were having these conversations in this film, the Klansmen, the white supremacy. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. unfortunately it, the first thing I thought of it was like, wow, we just, finished watching this movie. My students were shocked that the Klan existed in the North to that degree in that time period. Um, even though we'd learned about it in history class, like seeing a film about it with actors they recognized, it somehow brought it more to life and made them more aware of it. They were also shocked about the anti-Semitism that, mm-hmm. was a, that is a part of the Klan and these white supremacists mm-hmm. group. It's something that is often not highlighted enough, so I, I like that Spike Lee included that in the film. So mm-hmm. unfortunately, I was able, I mean, I say unfortunately because I really wish I didn't have to link this film that we watched that took place in the 70s to this shooting that just took place that Saturday. So what I always do is, because I respect my students and I want to hear what they think, mm-hmm. and I recommend any teacher when you're approaching these topics is, again, trigger warning, give kids permission to leave the room if it's uncomfortable. We mm-hmm. don't want to commit what we, what the, I don't know if people are familiar with this term, curricular violence, which mm-hmm. happens a mm-hmm. lot when you're talking about racism and anti-Semitism and, and hateful things. You want to give kids the opportunity to leave the room or, or opt out if it's mm-hmm. a particular setting. So kids know that. I, I hope they know that. and I reiterate it. And then I just ask them what they heard. And again, they heard a lot. And just like after the January 6th insurrection, I, I, they, they had, I was not surprised because I know my, I know my students, they have all the information, right? And that's why as educators, we need to give them the tools to unpack it. Historical context, synthesis, um, continuity and change, like all the different tools we've been using all year in my class, we implemented them. The kids have the content. They might not have the full story because they're reading bits and pieces on TikTok and Twitter. They might not really be reading a full news article or watching MSNBC or CNN or whatever for six hours. So we, we pieced it together and we talked about great replacement theory and talked about how this is something that they actually learned about in my class and it's not, not learned about as something to believe in, but it's something that fueled the, the nativist movements in the late 19th century and the mm-hmm. 1920s, right? And mm-hmm. so we, we I, I, you know, I like to empower them by, hearing what they think first 
and then reminding them of what they learned about in the class so that they can connect it all. But I will say that, you know, the thing that I that they said to me that, that really upset me the most, and I didn't really have a lot of words for it, was they said they feel like the violence and the racism around the violence and the white supremacy is getting closer to them. Now, mm. because for them, they're like New York City kids. They're like, you know, Buffalo's in New York, you know, not because they're geographically ignorant. It's just like, you know, wow, that's New York too, right? It's, it's funny when you're in New York City to think that a community that's so far away is still the same state as you. And so they said, here you have Buffalo, New York, and they referenced the subway shooting that had just happened a couple of weeks ago. And one girl was close to tears talking about how our little sister and she were often taking that train. If they had not moved, they might have been on that train car. Mm-hmm. And so even though we don't, even though the shooter on the subway wasn't necessarily uh, like a, he wasn't a white supremacist, they they link the two. They link uh-huh. this fear of gun violence with the fear of white supremacists because I think the two are interlinked. I think they, yeah. they intersect, and they're terrified, you know. And yeah. then, so to be honest, with this new headline, which is real people, 14, I think 14 kids and a teacher were killed today at a mass shooting in Texas. I, I, it's, it's tough to be an, it's tough to be a human being who wants people mm-hmm. to live in this country, but mm-hmm. it's especially hard to be an educator facing your kids every day, um, ha- having to help them unpack this when you're having trouble unpacking it, right? That's right. That's right. And, and I understand that. And I, you know, I agree with everything you said. And I mean, that is disturbing and troubling. Um, you know, I, I'm one that looks at also the statistics behind um, what a lot of this means. And for me, when I, when I read one that nearly half of all Republicans agree with the with the great replacement theory. I don't know what makes it great, but great replacement theory is what it's called. So I'll call it that. But um, yeah, yeah. But they they but nearly half of Republicans agree with it. And then the statistic mm-hmm. goes up if you look at people who voted for Donald Trump. Um, six in ten of those vo- voters agree with wow. the core tenet of that, and wow. so wow. it's just—it's really scary um, when you start talking about the real divide in this country around. So now we're not. So there's the replacement theory as a belief that you know immigration. Um, is not only going to reshape America, but that it's going to do away with white culture and uh, you know, kind of Western European values and Christianity, um, that that is making its way into the mainstream. This is not, and it's kind of no longer fringe talk. No. No, and, and, and that's what, and, that's what you want know, people to understand. This is not you're talking about. Oh, that's right wing. Hey, folks, look, I don't know, but it's like yeah. once upon a time, right right wing used to mean like ten percent of <laughs> of the the right. party, right? But now it's the party. we're talking. This is the, it's party. the party, exactly. It's the party, and it's it's. It's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm stumbling on my own words, the six and ten. I heard the half, but the six and ten is not surprising, yeah. but it's just mm. very, very horrifying because mm-hmm. um, 
because because I can't help but to link the issue of gun violence in this country, the easy access to guns, the easy mm-hmm. access to hateful rhetoric at the tip of your finger, you know, fingertips online with your clicker with Fox News and, and Tucker Carlson. I'm going to name check him because he's mm-hmm. the number mm-hmm. one purveyor of it in prime yeah. time, let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a really lethal combination. And then combined with um, the alienation that people experience in America in general, then, of course, got worsened by the pandemic, people left to their own devices on their own, fearful, angry, looking for community in the wrong places. And it's, it's really scary. And I, and, and I know that um, I, I always try to find hope and I always try to, I, I mean, I, the hope I see is in the young people I teach. And then they made the point, well, the, the kid who shot up the school, the, who shot up the, was looking to shoot up a school actually, who shot up the, the supermarket when eight, was 18, right? So mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm. Gen Z too. And I think mm-hmm. it's important for us to remember that because we tend to glorify, and I do that, like Gen Z is going to save us. You see that mantra all over the internet and out of people's mouths. But we also have to keep in mind that Gen Z is sitting in these high school classrooms where they're now banning quote-unquote CRT, mm-hmm. that in air quotes. That's right. Um, but then, you know, now that, you know, the big fear was critical race theory. But I think what we really need to fear is great replacement theory. Mm-hmm. So the kids mm-hmm. are not, quote, unquote, learning CRT, which is just learning about racism. And instead, they're getting steeped in this great replacement theory. And, like, that is a very lethal, scary combination. And I, I think we need to do something about it. And, I, and I, I hope we can find a way out of this. Yeah. And so going back to what you were saying, you know, just in terms of teachers, any recommendations or you struggle to make sense out of it yourself, um, then how do you do that responsibly, um, you know, just in terms of keeping yourself grounded and yeah. informed and, you know, and not that there's anything wrong with responding emotionally to this because it is an emotional yeah, issue. Um, but how do you balance that with, uh, with the facts of what, what is happening and uh, what our response might be? Right. Well, I think that that takes a lot of inner work where you, you have to think, you have to really address the emotions around it before you get into that classroom. So mm. I highly recommend that teachers really give themselves the time to process and sort through it and not use your classroom as your, you know, therapy. But yes, I also yes. think there needs to be, there needs to be a level of vulnerability and honesty but in a way that your kids feel safe and they don't feel like that they need to be there for you, but you're there for them. Right. So mm-hmm, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a balance that you don't learn the first year of teaching. Right. So don't, right, right. don't judge yourself if you break into tears talking about it and you got a little too emotional that time, you know, you mm-hmm. learn, live and learn. Right. But I, mm-hmm. I think, I think it's worse to not show emotion around this stuff because then you're not, we need to model for young people how to balance our emotion and um, kind of the coping mechanisms to learn about it and process it and find a way to fix it and solve it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of emotion and passion that goes behind that, the impetus to fix things. Right. You Mm -hmm. need to have emotion and passion. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think helping kids navigate through that is really important. I think they lost a lot of those coping mechanisms when they were studying from home with Zoom school. So Mm -hmm. I think it's highly important that we model that. But I, I do think that if you armor kids, not to use the word armor, but I just did, if you arm kids with the facts, right. If you, if you teach them the history of America, the complex history, 
the highs, the lows, the in-betweens. But if you teach them about the incremental, perhaps way too slow changes that we've seen within the civil rights movement, if we talk about the fact that, yeah, it's the racism still exists today, but we've made these achievements, right? Not whitewash mm-hmm. it, not be mm-hmm. poly, not, not, you know, just do a rose-colored glasses thing, but highlight the highs and lows. I think it's so mm-hmm. important, right? Because mm-hmm. I think sometimes teachers go the other way and they want to just like, Make sure kids don't think that they're whitewashing to the point where now you're, now you're just making everyone just hate everything, right? And yes, no yes, sure. Right. Sure. So you got to find. I, I think it's about finding the balance, and I think that starts mm-hmm. with you doing the work, doing the reading, um, providing them with the facts, but also showing them the joy, the joyful experiences of America, the accomplishments. You know, the, when the Voting Rights Act was passed, how we got there, right? Not just right. emphasizing the violence, but also emphasizing the the joys and achievements that we have experienced in this country. Because we need to give young people hope. We need to give them a pathway and um, some kind of blueprint how to, to how to get to these places, right? Sure, While at the same sure. time highlighting the problems that we have. Sure. And and I want to say uh, one other thing is that, and you brought this up about, you know, you, you uh, how you feel about it um, while not using it as a therapy session for yourself, yeah. but also yeah. being able to say um, when there's something that you don't know, being able to say, I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, but even yes. importantly, also being able to say something very important that you brought up was you, your own personal feelings. And I think being able to say this in the presence of children gives them the permission to be in a place of dissonance where you say, I'm conflicted about this, where they understand mm. what that means from an emotional perspective. I'm conflicted by this that there are many mm. great things about what we, who we are um, and, and what we stand for, the aspirations we have as a nation, and the reality of what happens here. Um, mm. it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a conflict. And in many ways, uh, you know, I, I think that we, we – help them to understand the paradoxical nature, nature of, of the kind of the political system we have, that it is in some, mm-hmm. time, some ways it's one thing to one group of people and another to another at the same time. And that some people yeah. are served, some people are served well, and there is justice for some and not justice for others. And that it is an imperfect system and that we, we are able to say that. Um, w- one of the biggest problems that I have about what happens also in, in these, some of these talk shows and where people uh, tout these theories, that they come up with this and there's no real um, kind of academic basis or research basis for making these claims like it's mm. just okay there's some it's like when people say they said you know it's a lot of right. well you know they say um and that's what that's what we end up believing is what they and no one know who the they is but who's they? we we, yeah, we yes they? and we we believe that and and so but i going back to what i was saying is just that i think that we we teach children also how to 
respond to just not being sure and not having an answer. Like being able to live with the ambiguity of I don't know how to feel about this just yet and not necessarily drawing conclusions. I think that's important. That's an important part of a good educational system. Um, I agree. So now I also know that you – you have co-founded um, a couple of organizations, and, um, and I mean, I, there's so much that you're doing. I just really want to commend you and, um, for all the work that you're doing. I know you're hosting a Classroom Educator Zoom series, so tell me a little bit about that, because there, there are probably dozens and dozens of teachers out there that don't know about this and would love to get involved with that. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So at the beginning of the pandemic, I connected with um, someone at Vicki over at P- PBS NewsHour Classroom, which used to be called PBS NewsHour Extra. But it's the education arm of PBS NewsHour. And I just said, I asked, I don't even know what we were, we were on Twitter. And I said, hey, I, I'll blog about what it's like to teach during the pandemic. And I ended up writing a 13-part series about that. I called it Teaching in the Age of Coronavirus, before we were calling it COVID-19. But, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm dating mm-hmm. myself. It's very early. It's very March 2020. It's very March 2020. March 2020. Um, <laughs> very March. Remember we called it coronavirus? Um, yes. Teaching yes. the Age of COVID-19. I think I'd had a ring to it. But so mm-hmm. I, I just really, I mean, I actually haven't gone back and read it in a while. But I was pretty honest and vulnerable in the post because it was just kind of me and my computer and, and students on Zoom for a while. So I did that, and then it morphed into doing the Zoom series. And um, at the beginning, we were mostly talking about what it was like teaching online, and then we had experts come in to talk about how to stay safe in the classroom once we opened up. And then as as the series continued, uh, we started talking more and more about these divisive issues laws and helping teachers navigate through that. So I've had Dr. Uhura Williams on, Jose Wilson. He's over at Teachers College getting his PhD, I think. Fred mm-hmm. Joseph. I mean, I, we've had some amazing people on. Dr. Hotez came on a couple of times to talk about uh, COVID and COVID safety. And what's great about it is it's on Zoom and we have everyone have their videos on and teachers tune in from across the country. So it's been really interesting to learn about and then amplify what they're going through in various different uh, districts and states related to COVID safety and what's Mm -hmm. the very nature of what they can teach. Mm -hmm. And then um, I actually connected with one teacher doing one of those Zoom series, Sarah Lerner, when we did uh, a couple episodes about gun violence in schools. We had Fred Guttenberg on and um, Dr. Joe Sacrin. But Sarah Lerner and I connected, and then I connected with Abby Clements. And Sarah Lerner um, is an English teacher, journalism teacher at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. She was uh, unfortunately there the day of the Parkland shooting and lost students to that terrible shooter shooting incident. And then um, I connected with Abby Clements, who was unfortunately teaching at um, Sandy Hook the day of that shooting. Mm-hmm. Too many shootings. And so the three of us joined together in December uh, after the Oxford shooting in Michigan, and we started Teachers Unified to End, End Gun Violence because we realized, mm-hmm. and this really came from Abby Clements, that re- there really isn't a teacher's uh, organization around ending gun violence. So we started that. We're, we're new, we're young, but any teachers are 
educators, former educators, retired educators, school staff who want to get involved, just go to teachersunified.org and we will connect with you. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of work around the recent shooting that happened today. And then one other organization that I'm involved with, and then I'll stop because I do a lot, but is that I'm really passionate about is I'm a, I'm a senior advisor for Voters of Tomorrow, which is a Gen Z, get out the vote, uh, nonprofit. Um, I don't know if it's a nonprofit. They're, they're, they're a group of Gen Z activists working to get out the vote, doing a lot of activism around youth by, votes and um, youth rights and voting. So mm-hmm. I advise them on, on stuff around that. So, uh, awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm out there because, yeah. I don't know, I, my philosophy is, you know, if I can do it, I'm going to do it because I want to make, I want to make this a better world for the young people I'm teaching now and the young people I started teaching 20 years ago. So yeah. whatever yeah, I well, can do to help and amplify, I'm doing it. Well, thank you for that work. Um, and I know that there are a lot of people who appreciate um, you know everything that you've said today, and particularly um, th- just the work that you're doing. And I'm hoping that there's somebody who maybe uh, has li- has listened in today, or will listen in on the podcast, and 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 be inspired to to take up the same uh, fight in their their local areas. Because what what's going to make a difference with this is where we have groups of of individuals that are just acting in their, like you are in your school and another person in another school influencing um, children around the country um, and know, and letting them know what the truth is about these uh, things. I know we, we only have about four more minutes really of live time um, scheduled, but um, I, I do want to get your thoughts. I know this is very new, um, for those of you who don't know, in the state of New York, um, Betsy, or sorry, Betty Rosa, um, <laughs> the state, the state ed commissioner, canceled the U.S. government and history regents exam, um, and um, they found at least, I guess, they had a, a group of content experts thought, it, from what at least the initial reports today are about one question that. They thought yeah. might, be tr- might be triggering. Uh, d- d- tell me your thoughts about that um, quickly and, well, yeah. and your reaction to that. Yeah, I'm still processing it. Uh, and I, I, I don't want to make any official statements without seeing. Mm-hmm. I mean, hopefully we can see what the question was. I'm, I, I'm going to guess that it was a large part of the exam. Um, it's, the, it's the new regents framework. So mm-hmm. it, it would have been the first year. Um, I know we have only three minutes. My 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 thoughts are essentially, I I am if it was going to be triggering and traumatic for students, I'm very pleased that they took it off. I'm going to mm-hmm. guess that I'm going to trust that they were being diligent and and, mm-hmm. and, and smart about this and. And I think that our young people have suffered through enough trauma that to make them sit down, I mean, I have my own, this is a whole other discussion, my own thoughts about standardized testing. That's not two minutes long, Mm -hmm. probably 22 Mm -hmm. minutes. But I think that the kids were already traumatized by having to take this test after missing a lot of practicing with literacy and writing and reading, and they were really stressed about it. 
And mm-hmm. the last thing that they would have wanted to do is sit down and take a really challenging test because of just catching up with stuff and then being confronted with a traumatizing question, especially young kids who were who live in Buffalo or in the surrounding area, I can imagine it being more traumatic. So mm-hmm. I trust their judgment and I'm thankful that they I'm thankful that they did their due diligence and read through the test and made that decision. Um, you know, quickly about that is, you know, I think we need to rethink how how we're testing kids, assessing kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the larger question is really like about standardized tests and what traumatic content is often simplified into multiple choice and essay questions for mere points to graduate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also just because I, I think it's important that kids learn this. I don't think we should cancel what they're learning. I think we should really rethink how we're assessing it in a way Absolutely. that is meaningful and not turning someone's trauma into your points on a multiple choice question. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for those of you who are listening, um, you know, we only have about 20 seconds of, of live time, but you will be able to catch in its entirety um, our closing out of this conversation. If you tune back in, um, you will be able to catch um, our final comments here. So um, please uh, come back. Um, but um, Sarah, I, I am so uh, appreciative of you agreeing to come on today, especially in light of um, what just happened today. And again, I I want you to continue to do the work that you're doing. We're going to watch and listen um, for you. And hopefully um, if there are places you can tell teachers that are, and and leaders that are listening in where to go um, if they want to hear more about your the work you're doing on the Zoom series, how do they join, but also the other groups, the Teachers Unify, the Voters of Tomorrow, any of the, and even ways that they might reach you if they have questions or, oh, or what have oh, you. Yeah. Please, please feel uh, um, comfortable sharing that here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm pretty much all over the Internet, <laughs> uh, which is probably something I need to work on. But you can, my, my um, handle is Sari Beth, D-E-T-H, Rose, like the flower, Sari, S-A-R-I-B-E-T-H, Rose, and I'm on Instagram and Twitter. I often put my tweets on my Instagram for people who aren't on Twitter. And my website, which I need to up, um, you can find it's SariBeth.com. Uh, but I think, I hate to say this, but if you Google me, you can find all those things. <laughs> Sari Beth Rosenberg. I think I, I think I tweet so much that I'm a little ashamed that I think the person <laughs> that comes up for my tweets is you just Google my name, which is a blessing and a curse depending on who yes, I want yes, to no. see me online, you know. No, well, this is a good and, thing. Yeah. 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 This is definitely yeah. Happy a to good help. thing. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And as I said, we'll be listening and watching and for those of you, um, tune in. We will, we will keep you posted on everything that uh, has been developing over the course of the day. Um, Sari Beth, um, looking forward to meeting you one day. But until then, yes. go, go well, stay well. You too. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's an honor. Bye-bye.